Our sermon passage this morning is Exodus 21, verse 33 through 22, verse 15. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also shall, they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be, shall be his. If a man steals an ox or sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found to break in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from, from the best of his own field in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust... Whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a, for a cloak, for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them, uh, both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beast, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution." If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we recognize that this word of yours was written and given to us as a gift. It was written and given to us so that we could see and know who you are. And so that we who know you in Christ could be guided to live for your glory. So now, Father, I pray for all who are here that we would hear your word. I pray that by your spirit you would cause us to meet you in your word. And I pray that you would convict and give faith and restore and renew and make whole as you draw 
people to yourself. Lord, could you do all of this today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you haven't already, please take a Bible and turn over to the book of Exodus, chapter 21, where Brian just read for us. I think it was quite appropriate that Brian was chosen to read that this morning because of those I see here, he's the only one who's ever set foot on a farm. So that's good. But I also promise that this passage is for all of us who've never set foot on a farm. If you're our guest, you should know this. We are studying through the book of Exodus. Um, We didn't wake up last Monday morning and go, let's preach that passage. We're working through the book of Exodus. And as we're working through, we're doing so believing that all of Scripture is given to us for teaching, correction, reproof training in righteousness. We're believing that the Lord would speak to us and would teach us and would guide us through his word. So in the book of Exodus, the first huge reality is that God saves his people. We can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves from sin and death. God must save his people. And in the story of the Exodus, God has delivered his people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. It's been definitive, and he has done it, and they have been freed. Now, on this journey, the second reality in the book of Exodus is God is shaping his people. God wants his people to be shaped by him to distinctly glorify and honor him in the world. The people whom God has redeemed are a transformed people. And what is going on here in God's law is he is showing them what it looks like to be a transformed people. So that's the big section that we're in. It begins in chapter 20 with what we call the Ten Commandments or um, what we call the Ten Words. And then it moves into what we are calling and what the scripture calls the statutes or a, a series of very tangible unpacking of what those Ten Commandments would look like for the life of Israel. So in the Ten Commandments, we get, Thou shalt not steal. And what we get today is the Lord shaping his people to uniquely obey him and uniquely honor him and glorify him in the world. So what we see in these verses is that the Lord is talking particularly about wrongs done in interpersonal relationships, wrongs done between people. And a series of case laws, a series of very tangible realities of of what this looks like. Now, let me just tell you how I think we're going to take this and we're going to move it with us. What, if you take these, these words at face value, which we should, then these rules, these laws, these statutes are intended to create within Israel a very present culture of owning responsibility and seeking reconciliation in human relationships. 
What's going on in all of this is when a wrong is done between people, the Lord is laying out what it looks like to own responsibility and seek reconciliation between those two people. And apparently, this is something that really matters to the Lord. So, I distinctly remember my wife and I were just married, and we had just bought our first home in Jackson, Tennessee. I believe we paid $62,500 for that home. And everybody's like, Whew. anyway. Um, yeah, that's for real. And, and I'm only 42. Anyway, I digress. Well, on our, one of our first weekends there, we were trying to cut down a tree. And so cutting down the tree was quite simple. Getting the stump out of the ground was a bit more of a challenge. And it was really challenging because I only had like two or three tools. And so I went across the street to the gentleman who was always home. He was in his 80s and he was always out in his yard. And I knocked on his door and I said, could I borrow a hatchet? He's like, sure. So he gives me this hatchet. He was 80. The hatchet was at least 280 years old. I mean, it was just like on the fringe of death. And so I was like, thank you, sir. And I, I go across the street and I kind of eye the hatchet and I get down on my knee and I make one strike to the, the tree and the head of the hatchet just goes flying across the yard, lands in the grass. So I pick it up and I'm like, very frustrated, said some very sanctifying, holy things. And so, okay, now I'm going to the store. So I go to the store, I buy a hatchet, you know, like 20 years ago, it probably cost me like $15. And I come home and I, I do my work, but then I have a dilemma. Who gets the new hatchet? Does it matter? Is there anything at stake? I mean, he gave me a bad hatchet. What do I do? Now, it's really important that we just quickly, I need to state, like my standing before God is not in question about the hatchet. I'm a Christian. I bear the name of Christ. I'm a seminary student. I want to be a pastor. And he knows that. What do I do with the hatchet? Well, honestly, I have to be, if I can just be real candid, I didn't think about Exodus 21 or even the scripture. I thought about my grandfather, a farmer. What would my granddad do? Walked across the street, put both hatchets on the man's front porch, and left. And then in good southern fashion, we spent the next month arguing over who got the fixed hatchet, but as I was studying this week and wrestling through this passage, what I realized is in that little simple interaction about a broken hatchet sat my relationship with my neighbor and sat potentially a testimony of how a child of God handles a wrong. I broke the man's hatchet. Now, I'm not here today to give us a list of rules about hatchets and cars and accidents and insurance and modern-day policing, but I am here to say that if the Lord was going to create within Israel a culture of 
quick owning of responsibility and quick reconciliation in interpersonal dynamics, particularly when wrongs are done, I believe that comes forward to us, the children of Jesus, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who have been freed from sin and death, who have the spirit of God living in us. That same sense of when wrongs are done between people, between one another, how do we quickly own our responsibility and quickly right the wrong? I believe that that's the culture that the Lord's shaping in Israel with these laws. So let's look at the text together. If you want to take notes this morning, the first point, when wrong is done. And so really the first question for us to ask is, what exactly is being talked about in this text? Because I could extrapolate all day long about wrongs and making it right and those things, but what exactly is being talked about in this text? text. There are six sets of interpersonal wrongs. And we'll just use the first one as our example. So look at chapter 21, verse 33, and then we'll look at all the rest of them in a few minutes. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it. So we're talking about somebody who very practically has dug a hole hasn't covered the hole, and someone else's ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make reconciliation, make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. So let's just see what's happening here. You have a real circumstance. I dug a hole. Your ox got out on my land and fell into my hole. What the passage says is, as the digger of the hole, I have some responsibility. And as the digger of the hole, the Lord is prescribing a way for me to seek restitution or to seek restoration or to seek reconciliation from the wrong of the ox dying in the hole. Now, anybody here own an ox? Anybody? Ox? Ox owners? Good, okay. What about anybody leave an uncovered pit this morning before you left your house? Anybody? Okay. So, so there's a sense in which we don't feel the urgency of these things, but I just want us to see it. This, this is an example of a wrong done between two humans. This one's not even intentional. It's completely accidental. And yet the Lord's saying, I'm going to show where we have to see that there is responsibility and the responsible party will quickly make reconciliation. And so you might say, well, why is this necessary? Well, because one We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where things don't always go the way that they should. And we live in a world where things often are left undone or bad, troubling, unintended things happen. 
And so the Lord is giving to his people a series of real events and how they should be handled to stir ownership of responsibility and quick reconciliation when these difficulties, these hardships, these wrongs happen between people. And if we take these seriously, in each of these, it's a wrong done toward another person, and the reconciliation happens between the two people. A couple things to note. There is responsibility and a call to righting the wrong even if it was done unintentionally. I mean, honestly, how many of us as Americans, if we dug the hole and the the ox fell in and died, would have said something like, but I didn't mean that. It seems like this passage would say there's responsibility whether it was intended or not. Or, so, this passage is there's six sets of these practical realities where the Lord is showing his people what it's going to look like to own responsibility, seek reconciliation in human relationships such that there will be unity and peace among the people and God will be honored in how his people approach one another and approach others when wrongs are done. Now, before we move into each of these sets, let's take a step back. And when I stand up and say righting wrongs, making wrongs right in a church context, many of us, like we, we hit the like, like, hold up, stop, pause. We're a people of grace. We are. We're, we're, we all sin. We do. We can't make up for our wrongs. Before God, we cannot. Jesus died for our sin. He did to reconcile us to God. Our parallel to the gospel is what the Lord has done in delivering the Israelites from Egypt. Here, they've been delivered, they've been set free, and now the Lord's saying, this is how we live. This is how we live out our faith. And so, yes, in the church, we're quick to say, we're not a people of works, we're a people of faith. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. We can't work our way out of our sin. Jesus died for our sin. That is all true. And our relationship to God is 100% rooted in Christ. But this passage, and a whole litany of parallel passages in the New Testament would say, but in interpersonal relationships, we are to seek active reconciliation. We're to seek writing of wrongs. We're to seek making things right as those who have been forgiven much and as those who have the Spirit dwelling within us. So, absolutely, let's not confuse 
reconciliation with God as reconciliation with other humans. Those are very different realities. But this passage is saying is, as those who are reconciled to God, we are going to point out accountability and responsibility. We're going to accept accountability and responsibility, and we're going to be the ones who swiftly seek reconciliation in these interpersonal relationships when wrong has been done. These are six instances where the Lord is laying out what it looks like to pursue reconciliation, what it looks like to yield forgiveness, and what it looks like to have a free conscience. So let's look through these together, and and let's just make sure that we understand what the Lord is saying to his people. So second point, if you're taking notes, seeking reconciliation. In the passage, the Lord gives six sections or six categories of thought that are all about wrongs done between people. So I'm just going to walk through those quickly, and then we're going to ask ourselves the question, what do we do with this today? Verses 33 and 34 of chapter 21. Speak to an open pit and an animal who dies in the pit. What it tells us is that the person who dug the pit is um, responsible And the person who dug the pit will make reconciliation or restoration by giving to the owner of the animal the price of the animal. And that is is the Lord saying, in this circumstance, this is where accountability lies and this is what reconciliation looks like. Second set of thought, this is in verses 35 and 36. What happens when our animals fight? What happens when our animals fight? When two animals fight and one kills the other, what do we do? Here's what the Lord lays out. He says, the responsibility is on both of us. And the way that we will make reconciliation is we will sell both animals and we'll split the, the living animal and the dead animal, and we'll split the, the cost, the price between us as a way to make reconciliation between us. Except if your animal is a serial animal killer, and then it's all on you for not keeping your known killer away from my animal. You got to see what's going on here. This is like real, like real problems, real wrongs, real things that divide. Third section, chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Theft. What happens if you steal from me? If you steal from me and you say you take my donkey and I find you with my donkey, you will give me two donkeys. If you steal from me and I find you, but you no longer have my donkey, you will owe me for five donkeys. So the, the writing of the wrong of theft is intensified over this accidental loss of a life because of the intent of it and the purposefulness of attempting to steal. 
Beyond that, there's this odd thing in there about blood guilt and sun rising and more blood guilt. And what is going on there is what's being said is if a thief comes in the night, not metaphorically, but in reality, if the thief comes in the night, the owner of the home, not knowing the intent of the thief, can protect himself, not being able to see. And if that were to result in death, there would be no guiltiness, no blood guilt. But if it's in the day and you can see what's going on and you just kill out of vengeance, then there would be blood guilt. So what's being laid out here is what it looks like to right the wrong of theft and to right the wrong of killing in the midst of theft. This stuff's getting very, very tangible. Third section, chapter 22, verse 5, the destruction of crops. What happens if I let my animal loose into your field and it destroys and or eats your crop? To I am responsible and to right the wrong, I will give you the best from my field. Fourth section, chapter 22, verse 6, what happens if I start a fire that destroys your crops? I am responsible and I will give you the best of my crops to fully repay you for the destruction of your crops. You're seeing the pattern here, right? I'm belaboring it. I want you to see it, okay? Sixth section. This has lots of caveats to it. The loaning of goods. Now we're to the hatchet. The loaning of goods. This is chapter 22, verses 7 through 15. Verses 7 through 9 speak of, if you loaned me your hatchet, and the hatchet was stolen from me, and we find the thief, then the thief owes you five hatchets. If the hatchet was stolen from me, and we can't find the thief, but I had no activity in the taking of the hatchet and you had no activity in the taking of the hatchet, then we will go before God and we will make an oath before God that neither of us are culpable. And in that instance, neither of us is responsible for the hatchet unless the Lord makes it clear who is responsible. And then there will be double paying. Verses 10 through 13, my hatchet example is bad, except it's broken. What happens if an animal is injured or is missing? Like what if it just falls down and breaks its leg? Or what if it just wanders off? If I had no activity in the hurting or the disappearance of the animal, and you had no activity in the hurting or the disappearance of the animal, then we make an oath before the Lord and there's no payment required. Verse 14. What if your animal is injured or dies while working for me? Then I will make, I am responsible, and I will make full restitution to you for the loss of your animal. Verse 15. What if you Come with your animal to my farm and we're working together and it dies. Because you are with your animal, there is no fault and there is no 
restitution. So what is being laid out here, animals dying in pits, animals killing one another, theft of property, destruction of property, loaning of property, what the Lord is is laying out is this is ultimately some guidance on who is responsible, and this is ultimately guidance on how to right the wrong. Why would the Lord lay out all this in great detail? to shape the life of Israel. What about it? What about it? To show the way of acknowledging wrong and righting wrong between people within the nation. So some of you are sitting there and if you're honest, you're like, okay, but I don't really, like what is this, like what's the deal? I don't have an ox. I don't have a farm, or maybe you do. But what's the deal? This is our deal. This, the truth and the character of God that was trying to shape within Israel a context and a culture of quickly acknowledging wrong and quickly seeking to right wrong with a goal of reconciliation would still be what the Lord would desire for his people. If not in jot and tittle, if not in exact code, in the same spirit. So what do I do with the hatchet? I want to be really clear, I don't have a word from the Lord about the hatchet. I'm left in wisdom to wrestle through passages like this and ask the question. But I would say, that hatchet was my responsibility. I broke it. And my responsibility is to take responsibility for my actions to the owner of the hatchet and seek to make restitution and have reconciliation with the owner of the hatchet. And ultimately, I ended up with the hatchet and a good relationship. So really, guys, I'm not uptight about $15 hatchets, okay? And I hope this doesn't feel like the most legalistic message you've ever heard, because I don't mean it that way. And I'm about, But it matters how we relate to others. It matters how we relate to others. So as we conclude this message, some closing implications for us. Number one, I've already said this, but I want to say it again to be as clear as I can. There is no amount of human effort that writes our relationship before God that's broken by our sin. We cannot right the wrong of our sin. The Son of God came, lived, and died, and rose again that the wrong of our sin would be righted for all who call upon his name and believe in him. That's the entry point. The entry point to this conversation is Jesus. So perhaps you're with us today and you're thinking, I don't know Christ. I don't know if I belong to Christ. 
I don't know what it would look like to belong to Christ. I don't know what it would look like to be forgiven of my sin. Am I a sinner? If any of those questions characterize you or where you are today, I would love to talk with you after this service. Right through those double doors is a table. One of our staff members will be, is standing there now and will be standing there until the next service begins. There are resources free and available to you of what it would look like to consider the claims of Christ and take a step toward Christ. And another believer that would love to talk with you about that, we want you to take a step toward Jesus today. Second, those of us who know Christ, who have been forgiven by Christ, who have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us, we are called to live lives of holiness and lives that glorify the Lord. And I would argue that this passage says a life of holiness and a life that glorifies the Lord includes quick acknowledgement of wrong and actively seeking reconciliation toward other humans. Ultimately, our relationship, to speak metaphorically, is a vertical one. The most important relationship is our relationship to the Lord. But those horizontal relationships with other humans matter. And we represent Christ in those relationships. So let's let the spirit and the intent and the heart of God in these case laws shape how we think about the quick owning of responsibility and the quick righting of wrongs and the glorifying of Jesus in interpersonal relationships. Number three. I fear that our posture as Christians is diametrically opposed to what I'm talking about right here. I fear that we are so quick to posture ourselves before the world as the holders of truth who are right about everything and God left us here to point out what's wrong with the world. And there's some modicum of truth in that. We do have the truth truth, and we are called to speak the truth, but we're also called to speak it in love. So I would just call upon us to to recognize that our posture toward other humans, and I'm not so worried about in the social sphere. I'm just talking about one-on-one real human relationship. Our posture is intended to be the one of quick acknowledgement of wrong and quick taking active steps of reconciliation. You can be a Christian and be wrong at the same time. Then we can repent and seek the Lord and move forward. Fourth, in our current cultural climate, I'm not talking about the world at large. I'm not talking about America on social media. I'm talking about Sumner County, Tennessee, Davidson County, Tennessee, highly churched. Everybody's got an experience with the church somewhere, and most people have a bad experience with a church somewhere. One of the most missional things we can offer the world is 
quick repentance and quick seeking of reconciliation. Between sports and extracurricular activities and hanging out in my neighborhood and mowing other people's yards with my boys, I experience interaction with lost people a lot, with people who are far from Jesus, who have no relationship to Jesus. And I mess up in those encounters a whole bunch because I'm a very my emotions on my sleeve kind of guy. And when I call one of my friends and I say, hey, you know that conversation we had last night? Yeah. I was wrong to say what I said to you. And I'm sorry for saying that. And I would ask you to forgive me for saying that because I want our relationship to be reconciled. And by the way, I use those exact words. They don't know what to do. They're like, uh, uh, okay, thank you for saying that. Um, I appreciate it. We're, we're good. So now, in the words of the Apostle Paul, should we sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. So I'm not suggesting go be rude to your neighbor so you can give the canned apology and have an opportunity to explain the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying when we sin, when we're wrong, when we have wronged someone to quickly acknowledge it, to quickly take responsibility, to quickly seek reconciliation, is an inexplicable reality except that God has taken away our guilt and our sin and reconciled us to himself, and we don't have to perform before him. So we're free to be honest, and we're free to quickly seek reconciliation. So Church of Jesus, what I'm saying is let's take seriously the heart of the Lord laid out in this passage. And let's pray this, Lord, would you show me where I'm failing to take responsibility for my contributions to interpersonal brokenness? Lord, would you show me where I need to take the active step to right a wrong so there can be interpersonal reconciliation. And the beautiful news is that the Spirit of God who dwells in us will help us to this end. So, Father, as much as what has been said today is true, and as much as it is right for your people, I pray that you would take your words, which you've given to us, and that you that you would speak to us and shape us and give us faith and make us like your son. Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name.